Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Ephesians chapter 4 once again is where we are. And I imagine if you're like me, you've probably worn some tracks in your Bible uh, from going to the same location over and over and over again. Uh, we're in the midst of our understanding of how to apply everything that we have learned prior to this in chapters 1 through 3. In chapter 4, we kind of are putting it into practice. And so uh, join with me, if you will, in prayer as we seek God's Uh, guidance and direction in understanding this. Dear Gracious Father, Lord, we thank You so much for the privilege of coming together in Your house as the body of Christ. Lord, I pray that You would help us as we seek to to hear Your Word and as we seek to understand uh, Your message for us today. Lord, may we be faithful in understanding all that You've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look once again at uh, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. (coughs) We've been understanding that we have to live a life that's different. We have to, uh, we've been understanding that that uh, God is calling us to live a worthy walk. We spent quite some time talking about the worthy walk and what what does it mean to 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 live a life that is a worthy walk of serving God, of living for Him, of doing the things that we're supposed to do. And so uh, we come now to verse 17, and it says, "And I say therefore." And testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as others. Now what Paul is saying is, is, look, now that we've learned about the worthy walk, now that we've learned that we have to live a certain way, now that we understand that we can no longer live the way that we used to walk, uh, he says this is uh, now what we need to do. We need to now, uh, uh, a lot of what Paul uses, therefore and wherefore, uh, those are words that you need to kind of always look for, maybe even circle in your Bible whenever you come across therefore or wherefore, because what he's doing is he's saying, okay, he's laid out his case of all the things that he wants to tell you about, and then he says, now, therefore, meaning now, let's get the rubber hitting the road, and let's make sure that we get to where we need to be after we have established this reason for doing that. And so we understand, he says, therefore, uh, ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds, having the understanding darkened and being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feelings have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanliness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. If so, be that ye have uh, heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversations of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, 
and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Um, so what we, what we have here is Paul is making the case for the fact that we have a new understanding, a new way of living, a new life, a new uh, perspective in life. And we're coming to that point where he's trying to help us to, to apply that which we've been discussing all along. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, it says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith, who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So when we come to know Christ, when we come into the family of God, when we come into a relationship with God, when we are born into the family, we are no longer the same as what we once were. Paul is talking about the fact that we're no longer the same person, we're no longer the same individual, and there's a lot of people who uh, uh, want to to uh, accept Jesus and, uh, and all the benefits of, of not uh, uh, having our sin applied to our life, not having uh, uh, the, the penalty of sin, which is death and eternal damnation, eternal uh, uh, separation from God. Uh, people talk about salvation as if it's uh, winning the lottery, uh, pulling a lever on the one-armed bandit and, and getting sevens all the way across and getting just this big potluck of, of, of wealth coming your way. That's not what salvation is. What salvation is, is a putting off of the old self, of putting away. Uh, 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 it's, it's dying on the cross with Jesus Christ. It's dying to our old self and having a new self, a new individual. We're not, uh, we're not uh, uh, simply the same person cleaned up. That's not what Jesus teaches us. What He teaches us is, is that we're a new creation. Old things are passed away and old things have become new. We're not the same individual once we come to Christ. And that's why uh, those individuals who cling to their sinful ways, cling to the things that they had problems with, cling to the things uh, of this world, are deluding themselves into the understanding of what has truly happened to them. They are no longer the same. Now, we are still living in a sinful world and we are still influenced by the world and as such we have difficulties at time with sin in our life but we're no longer that same uh, filthy individual that has uh, the taint of sin upon them. Uh, we have been uh, uh, John here in 1 John says we are overcomers. That word overcomer is uh, the word nikeo. It's a word that uh, that means to to conquer, to be a uh, to be superior, uh, to be an overcomer. It's, it's no wonder a shoe sh uh, company decided to to take uh, that word and, and adopt it as their own uh, uh, word, Nike, uh, for their shoe, yeah, because its origins mean overcomer, a champion, someone who is superior. And that's what God is, is telling us that we are when we come into Christ because we are in Jesus Christ, the overcomer who's overcome this world and salvation transforms us into a new creation. He transforms a loser into a winner. 
a victim into a victor, we have been changed and completely a new creation. John 16.33 says, uh, Jesus said, In this world you shall have tribulation, he says, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Why are we uh, of good cheer? Because Jesus is the overcomer. Because when we come to know Christ, Christ lives within us. Christ comes within in us. Uh, years ago, there was uh, a, a, a cute little movie that was uh, about a little kid that wanted to be like Michael Jordan. Wanted to uh, to be able to play basketball like Michael Jordan, uh, one of the greats of basketball, and uh, he uh, the whole movie is about him being able to play like Michael Jordan. And all of a sudden, he's given the ability of Michael Jordan to play basketball, and he uh, experiences what it's like to to be like Mike. And what we need to understand is is that uh, we don't have to live a fiction that had, we don't have to dream about a fairy tale when Christ comes into our life when we accept Jesus into our life we don't have to just dream what it would be like to be like Christ we become like Christ we uh, we uh, have Christ in us and as a result we are no longer the same we are overcomers of this world because Jesus Christ has uh, become uh, uh, is the overcomer of this world and we are over the troubles in the, of this world and and we are an overcomer of sin. Uh, we are no longer uh, trapped by the the, uh, the devices of the devil, but we are overcomers in Christ Jesus. And so uh, Paul here talks about a new walk and a new lifestyle and a new uh, uh, creation. In chapter 2 of Ephesians, he says that we are created in Christ Jesus unto uh, into good works which God hath foreordained that you should walk in them. We have been foreordained to live in Christ, to, to be a, a, a part of Christ, to do the works that He would do, to do the good works, the good, uh, the good uh, that God uh, does in this world. The whole world walks in the wickedness of sin, because they live in the old way of life and uh, they are possessed by the things of this world, but we no longer are. When we have Christ come into our life, when we have Jesus come into us, it's, it's like we are no longer the same individual. We are, are a new creation, the Bible tells us. Old things are passed away, all things are new. So why do we still sin? Because we still have the old flesh. We have the old flesh that is like an old, uh, is illustrated here in Ephesians, kind of like an old suit. We still live in this old suit, the flesh of this world, and we still have problems with sin, but we're a new creation, and we're no longer uh, uh, chained and held prisoner by sin, and which means that we can walk away from our sin. We no longer have to be possessed by our sin, that we are no longer... Um, uh, uh, the same individual, and we think differently. We think our whole thought process is new. It's all been we've been transformed to the point where we no longer have to uh, to be a part of this world, and we begin to uh, to have, uh, as the Bible says, that we're we're called to have a mind like unto Christ. That we are called uh, to have a way that lives uh, like Christ. So. 
that new way of thinking is the, uh, uh, is the difference. And Paul lays out for us the difference between the new way and the old way. Look at verse 17. He says, uh, we don't need to walk in the old way as the Gentiles walk. Now he's, he's saying Gentiles because he's talking about those who are still lost in their sin, still lost in the way in which they do. Uh, and he says, we don't have to... Uh, what are the characteristics of the old way of thinking? He says, first of all, uh, there is the vanity of their mind. They, their mind is... is uh, 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 what does, what does uh, Solomon say? Vanity and vanity is all is vanity. It's nothingness. And so what he's saying here is the vanities of their mind, the nothingness, the emptiness of their mind. The reason that so many people are controlled by the sin of this world, controlled by the things of this world, is their, their mind is empty of the things of God. Their mind is, is, is void of all the things of God. And so uh, their mind is, is filled with uh, the things of this world because their mind is filled with nothingness. He says... Uh, uh, they have their mind is empty in their uh, verse 18 their understanding is darkened being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them so not only is their mind uh, devoid of God and his uh, his love and devoid of the things of God but their mind is filled with the darkness of this world uh, a, a, doubt, a dark clouded mind that is only thought is the is the the sin of this world I don't know if you've ever been around somebody that's been totally depraved. Uh, fortunately, most of you have probably never been in a situation where you've been around someone that is totally consumed by the sin of this world. But there are people there in, in this world that are like that. Most of the time, uh, all they think about are the, is, the, is the sinfulness of this world. The sin uh, uh, of this world just has them by the throat. They're all constantly thinking about uh, getting drunk drunk and 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 uh, being filled with the the temporal happiness of of being deluded by alcohol and drugs uh, and uh, it, it is so important for us to understand uh, that people that are addicted to drugs and alcohol are addicted because they have no desire to have anything other than that temporary high, that temporary uh, euphoric feeling that comes from alcohol and drugs that, uh, that takes them away from the problems that they're enduring when they're not high or they're not uh, drunk on alcohol. Uh, they can't face life, and so as a result, they have to take something to help them to deal and cope with it. And, and this emptiness of their mind, the emptiness of their soul is what causes them to drive uh, themselves to find some kind of relief from the things of this world. Uh, and uh, he says uh, uh, these people that are, are depraved, they are darkened by the sinfulness of the world. They're alienated from the life of God, which means they have no understanding of who God is and no uh, conception of, of what God desires to give them in their life. Uh, and so many times uh, when I share the gospel with someone that is not uh, uh, leaning towards accepting Jesus into their life, the main thing that they have problems with is, oh, I don't want to give up all the fun that I have. All the fun 
friend that I have with all my friends. And they, they say, well, if I come to Jesus, if I, if I give my heart and life to Jesus, I know I'm not going to be able to go around with my friends that I have. And, and if I give all them up, I have nobody. And, and I can't... Uh, and my friends, uh, they all like to go and uh, party. They all like to go out and do all this stuff. And, and, and I just can't give up all that fun that I have. And I, I say to them, really? You enjoy uh, sitting in the, in the bathroom on the floor, throwing up into the, into the toilet? And they say, well, what do you mean? That's not what I'm talking about. I say, well, yeah, but when you talk about getting drunk or getting high on drugs or whatever, uh, the next morning after all that is wore off, that's exactly where they are. Their, their head is spinning. Their world is out of control. And usually what do they do to get back into some kind of right frame of mind, so to speak, quote-unquote? I'll do more drugs, do more alcohol because their world stops spinning, their life stops uh, 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 being bad. They're no longer thinking about the bad things of the, of the world. They have no concept of what God desires for them in their life. What's the uh, next aspect of the life that is uh, captivated by the world? It says not only do they, uh, are they ignorant of the things of God, but they're blinded in their hearts of what God desires for them. Uh, and we talked about this idea of, of having a, a tender heart and a hard heart. A tender heart and a hard heart. A hard heart, remember uh, uh, the, the famous passage about a hard, hard stony heart. It was the heart of Pharaoh who didn't want to let the Israelites go, didn't want to do what God wanted them to do, and uh, uh, to let them go and worship God and, and be free. And each time that he endured a hardship... He was just like the rest of the world. He, uh, he, he had the frogs. Oh, go back to, to Moses. Pray God. Pray God will take care of this. Let, and all he wanted was, was God to quit. He didn't want God in his life. He didn't want to worship the one true God. He just wanted all the bad things from happening. And that's a lot of people that have a hard heart. They, they don't want God necessarily. They just want all the bad things to stop. Well, I want to stop uh, my landlord from uh, uh, constantly coming after me. and being a, I want to be able to pay my, my rent on time. I, I, I don't like uh, all these people calling me up and badgering me to pay my bills. I just want it all to stop. I, I, I can't handle all the, the bad relationships that I have. I just want it to stop. You see, they're, they're willing to... To, uh, when their car's careening down into the ditch or they're about to have a really bad situation, they're happy to say, Jesus, take the wheel. I, I can't handle this part of my life. But when things are going good, oh, I'm in control of things. I'm out having a party. I'm just having a good time. You see, most of those people that have a hard heart only look at Jesus and God as uh, come in here and stop this bad stuff from happening. When the, when the popos got you in handcuffs and they're taking you off to prison, oh, you're real religious then. When you're out in the middle of, of uh, the battlefield and, and the enemy's shooting bullets at you and, and explosions are going off all around you, oh, you're real religious then. But when you, the party's going on, where's God then? You see... Their heart is heart to God. Somebody with a tender heart understands and knows that they're unworthy of God's love. Knows that, that nothing that they have done in life warrants God being good to them at all. 
a, a, a person like that's like the publican that was there with the, uh, the Pharisee, remember, in the, in the temple that was praying. You had the Pharisee that's praying, God, I thank you. I'm not like this sinner over here, this publican, this tax collector. Oh, God, I, I'm thankful that I, I give my, my money to the poor. I'm thankful that I'm, uh, that I'm able to fast twice a week. I'm thankful that I'm not living a life of depravity like the others. And he's just saying, I, 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 me, 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 thank you, God. Thank you for me, for my life, all the things I'm doing. And all the while, the tax collector's over in the corner. He's not even down at the altar. He's just down in the corner. And he, he doesn't have any of the ability to even lift his eyes toward heaven. He's beating his chest and he's saying, God, I'm a sinner. Oh, God, please forgive me. God, I, I'm so unworthy. The person with a tender heart is like that because he understands. He understands that, that there's nothing in this world that we can do to warrant our salvation. Nothing in this world that we could possibly do to, to overcome the guilt of our sin and the transgressions that we, have, uh, that we have done against God. The sinner that has the tender heart understands that God loves them in spite of their sinfulness and still feels unworthy of God's love. It's that tender-hearted individual that God is able to change, that God is able to bring to a right relationship with Him because of the tenderness of His heart, understanding and knowing His sinfulness, understanding and knowing that He has done sin. And that's what Paul here is talking about. We have to understand our sinful place and understand the things that we did in our old walk, all these things that we were doing that took us away from God, all this darkness, all this turning away from God, all of this, and the greediness and the uncleanliness the old way. He says it's lascivious. This is probably the dirtiest word. I, I've read several different uh, theologians say lasciviousness is probably the, the dirtiest word in the Bible. Lasciviousness. And we don't even understand what that means pretty much today in, in our culture today. Lasciviousness is, a, is a, a filthy, dirty word that's used in the Bible several different times and it's in conjunction with another word that makes it mean different things. Lasciviousness in one sense, it means drunkenness. And it, it means the party the atmosphere and the lifestyle of, of constantly being drunken and, and overcome by uh, the libations in this world. And you want to understand why they disdain people who uh, were drunks in the time of Jesus. You have to understand that the wine that they drank was wine. It, it was fermented, but it wasn't fermented like the wine of today. It was much less powerful. And, and so in order to get drunk from it, you had to drink a whole lot more than you drink today. Today's wine is so uh, highly fermented, uh, uh, you, it doesn't take a whole lot for a person to get drunk from that. Uh, people, most people uh, get drunk from a, a one or two glasses of wine uh, because it's so highly fermented. In Jesus' day, you had to drink gallons of the stuff in order to, be, uh, to get drunk. 
the same way that you get drunk today. And that's why they saw it as such debauchery because it's, it wasn't just simply because they were drinking wine. I mean, that's what they had to drink. Uh, everything uh, was wine because water was not potable. They couldn't drink the water. It had so many uh, bacteria and organisms in it that it was dangerous to drink the water. So they drank the wine. The fermentation killed the germs. But it was, it was uh, I, I likened it to, now I, I can't say exactly what the wine was like, but I understand and know from Scripture that you had to drink a lot of it in order to be drunk. And I'm not saying that it was Welch's grape juice, because it wasn't. But it, it was wine that, that had been fermented, but not fermented as much. It, it was an ex- so you had to drink an excess, a, a great deal of it. And that's what this word lasciviousness means, is the drunkenness of, of just being... It, it means super drunk. You know, frat party drunk. And, and this drunkenness that is basically allowed... And what makes drunkenness so bad and... and and you can lump that uh, this uh, taking drugs in that with that today as well is, is that what you're doing is you're saying I'm not going to have control of my life. I'm going to let this pill. I'm going to let this drug. I'm going to let this alcohol have control of my life and give me instant happiness. I'm going to allow all the pain to be taken away by taking this pill or this drug or this uh, this uh, alcohol. And I'm going to allow it to, to cause me to do what? What do most people do when they're drunk or high? They do what they normally wouldn't do. Their inhibitions are, are erased. Their, their personality is different. They do different things. They allow themselves to be controlled by another. Well, that sounds an awful lot like what we ought to be doing as Christians. Instead of the, the, uh, the wine and the alcohol, we ought to be turning our life over to God and allowing Him control of our life. And so what we're doing is, is in essence the same thing is what those idolaters that are always in the Bible uh, that they're talking about, these people that worship false gods, these, these people that go out and they burn uh, uh, sacrifices to some piece of wood or something. And in essence, when you're a drunk, alcoholic, uh, 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 drug addict, you're worshiping at the altar of that foreign god that is that drug, that alcohol, or that whatever it is that you're doing, that you're allowing your life to be controlled by that substance. You're worshiping another God other than God who created you, who, who made you, who knows you, who knows you so intimately, knows you better than you know yourself. You're worshiping, worshiping at a false altar, allowing that other God to control your life. That, uh, that word lasciviousness not only means drunkenness in that sense, but it also means uh, sexual immorality. And what we're talking about here is, is not just uh, you know a sideward glance at, at some pretty young lady on the beach or something. We're talking about uh, this sexual perversion that was very link, linked very much so to uh, the worship again of false gods of uh, these temple prostitutes and, and many of the worship of false gods had to do with uh, going in and, and uh, giving yourself over to the sexual immorality of, of having sexual congress with, uh, with these prostitutes in the, in the temple and that was basically a brothel 
is what it was. And you had uh, people that would give themselves over to uh, uh, the sensualities and the carnalities of sexuality. And let me tell you, today it's no different. We don't have temples set up where you have prostitutes. (coughs) Excuse me. Where you have prostitutes in them. But with the... (coughs) Internet and with all the things that you can do nowadays, you don't even have the stigma of going out to a uh, an adult theater or an adult bookstore and and have uh, to worry about somebody seeing you. You can do it in the privacy of your own home, right there on your own phone or your uh, laptop or your tablet. You can see all the immorality of sexuality uh, in all of its uh, uh, perversion. And it is so captivating that some people are so uh, uh, taken by it that they are consumed by it. And again, what is that? That is not only uh, giving yourself over to the uh, lustfulness of this world, but it's also uh, dementing and distorting the true nature of, of love, which is a gift of God. God gave us love and sensuality to be uh, experienced in the in the confines of our, of a godly matrimony, in the confines of, of a relationship between yourself and that person that you've united yourself under the banner of God's uh, blessing in marriage, and and your relationship in that marriage is what God has blessed and what God has has given to you as a blessing. For you and your family, uh, your wife, your spouse, your husband, whoever, and all of this pornography and sexual immorality is all a, is a, is a poor man's substitute for what God intended for us to have. This lasciviousness not only meant drunkenness and sexuality; it also uh, refers to uh, uh, brawling and decency. And what that is related to is is Anytime, uh, just just see all the uh, the actions of, like I said, but just big old group of drunk uh, young men. They can't help themselves from getting into all kinds of fights and brawling, and it relates to greediness and and the desire to have everything that your heart's content. That word lasciviousness is, like I said, a very dirty word. And James chapter 4 verse 4 says, uh, when we uh, are friends with the world, we are enemies with God. Anytime that you feel like you can just get along with, with doing your sinfulness and it's not hurting anyone, it's not doing anything, it's not affecting anyone else, you might say, well, I, I can shoot up in the privacy of my home and, and, and nobody's been affected, not, not anybody. I'm not going out and hurting anybody. I'm not doing anything that is, is uh, being irresponsible. I'm not killing anybody. Just, you just need to understand that's a lie. You're not only hurting yourself, you're hurting everybody else that loves you and cares about you. You're hurting everyone else in your family. You're not being responsible, but more than anything, you are being an enemy of God when you're consumed by those things. You're following and chasing after false gods of this world, and you're not living as you should. Now, what is the new life? Jesus uh, states that we need to, uh, to... 
have the opposite. We need to take off that old filth that we just talked about. We need to put on the new. Jesus said one of the first things that Jesus did after He was baptized and went into the wilderness, what was His first message to everyone? It wasn't about uh, wheats and tares. It wasn't about uh, sowing good seed. It wasn't any. All those are great lessons of, of Jesus Christ and that we ought to apply to our life. But the very first thing Jesus said after when He started His ministry was repent. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. And that word repent means not just simply uh, acknowledging your sin. A lot of people when they they get saved they have the misunderstanding that uh, they say, okay, I'm a sinner. I, I, I recognize that I have sin in my life. So I'm, I'm saying, no. Repent means to, to see your sin, acknowledge it for what it is, and turn away from it. Repent means to make a, a 180. You're going this way towards sin, and then all of a sudden you repent. You turn around, you go the exact opposite way. You turn away from sin in the world, you turn back to God turn back to a right relationship with Him. Turn back to an understanding. That's what salvation is all about. It's not about just simply saying, hey God, I know I'm a sinner. That's important. You've got to know that. You've got to recognize your sin and know your sin in order to know that you need a Savior. And that's the second step. Say, admitting to God, hey God, I know I can't turn away from my sin. I know I can't save myself because of my sinfulness. I know I have no hope other than in you because you've paid the price for me. But you've got to turn away. You've got to, you've got to say, God, I despise that sin. And you've got to see sin for what God sees it. You've got to see sin the same way God sees it. And so many Christians, they get saved, they, get, uh, they accept Jesus in their heart, they accept salvation, they accept going to heaven and all that kind of stuff, but they want to still love on that sin. They still want to enjoy all the sinfulness they once did. But the problem is they don't see sin the way Jesus sees it. They don't see sin the same way God sees it. And if they did, they'd see it the same way. They'd turn away from it and they'd never come back. No, they get saved and then they keep right along uh, doing all the old things they used to do. Jesus said, repent. Turn your back on sinfulness. Turn away from it. What's the new man? Well, we see that beginning in verse 20. We'll go through these real quick. It says, first of all, in verse 20, but ye have not so learned Christ. And if if so, be that ye have heard of Him and have been taught by Him and the truth is in Jesus. First of all, you need to have a Christ-centered life. Your life needs to be centered upon Jesus Christ. Christ acts through me. You need to come to the point where you understand that Christ, you have a new life in Christ. When you accept Jesus into your heart and life, you're no longer the same. You're no longer the same person. And the reason that you can't have sin in your life is because Christ doesn't sin. And if Christ is in you, then He's not in this world. If Christ is in you, you have nothing to do with sin. And so when you allow Christ to be the center of your life, then what happens is is that you live 
And Christ lives through you. Christ loves through you. That's why we can't be prejudiced towards other people. That's why we can't turn our nose up against someone if they uh, uh, aren't like us or don't do things like us, don't dress like us, smell like us, whatever it is that you're saying it is about them that you don't like. You love them because Christ loves them. You love them because Christ loved them enough to go to the cross for them. He died for them. He wrote, He took their sin upon His life. Himself so that they might have salvation. He loves them just like He loves you. And so as a result, you love them like Christ loves them. And Jesus serves through you. The life of Jesus was all about service to others. Service to, to the world through giving of Himself as a sacrifice. Service to those who are lost and stumbling through this world by healing them, of getting them in the right direction, teaching them about God's love, teaching them about heaven, about God, service. We, when we have a mind like unto Christ, like Philippians 2.5 says, let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus. When we have a mind like unto Christ and our life is Christ-centered, then we live and act like Christ acts and lives. We love like Christ loves. We serve like Christ serves because He lives within us. And secondly, we know the truth. Pilate, when he was there with Jesus before Him and the crowds were crying out, crucify Him, crucify Him, he he said to Jesus, what is truth? And there was Jesus right in front of Him. Jesus is the truth. He says, you're not ignorant like the rest of the world. When you have Jesus in your life, you have the truth. The truth is that it's found in Jesus Christ. Thirdly, you put off the formal things of life. Verse 22, not only do you have the truth that is in Christ Jesus, but you have put off concerning the former conversation of the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. So you put off the former things of life. And then lastly, verse 24, and you put on the new man. You're renewed, which is after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. The Bible says we are to be holy like God is holy. And you say, well, I can't be holy. I'm not holy. I can't be holy like God. Well, that's what, where your problem is. You're trying to be holy. If you're in Christ... He lives in you. Christ is holy. You have to simply allow Christ to live in you. Then you can be holy. Not holy like God, but you can be holy because Christ lives in you. How do we do that? The first thing is to have that emptiness of this world filled with the Word of God constantly being filled with God's Word, allowing God's Word to be a part of your life. And I'm not talking about just every Sunday when you come to church and you hear me preach or you're studying your Sunday school lesson. I'm talking about every day, consistently in your life. And you'll find that it's harder and harder to do the things that you used to do. It's harder and harder to to be sinful and to do all those sinful things when you know you're going to sit down at at an appointed time each day to study and to read God's Word. It's hard to do because what you're doing is you're staring into the face of God 
and you're coming face. It's, it's just like when you're young and you and you did wrong on Friday night or Saturday night, and 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 if you came home, what'd you try and do? You tried to sneak into the house without anybody hearing, everybody anybody knowing. Cause what did you fear the most? Mom or dad sitting right there when you came in the door, right? Cause you knew they could see it on your face. You knew they could see what you had done. And when you study God's Word, when you read God's Word each and every day, guess what? God's peering at you through the, that, the Word of God and He's saying to you, what are you, doing? what are you doing? But more importantly than convicting you, He's helping you to live the right way. And then secondly, the, la- this, the last thing that you do in order to be renewed is to pray daily. And we've got such a hard time with prayer. We don't teach our children to pray. We don't practice prayer in our own life. We don't do the prayer like we should. We ought to pray daily. And I mean more than just God is great, God is good when you sit down to eat. That's a good way to teach your little child that doesn't know any better to start praying and make a prayer a daily uh, activity. But you're much older, much smarter, and much more mature in your faith. Y'all not to be praying such a simple prayer. You ought to be praying, pleading your heart out to God, allowing His Word that has bore a hole into your soul that looks deep into you and sees all that sin. You ought to be pleading with God, God, forgive me. Lord, let me live for You. Help me to live for You. Help me to be clean and pure. Help me to live and walk in Your way. You see, salvation isn't just simply a golden ticket to get out of hell. Salvation is relationship. And that's how you have a relationship with God. Daily walk with God and His Word so He can speak to you. Daily prayer. And when I say prayer, I also mean meditation. I'm not talking about Eastern mysticism. Om, my mind's empty, nothingness. No. Meditation is just thinking on God. Thinking on what He's told you in His Word. Thinking on what God desires for your life. Whatever is good, just, clean, without reproach. That's what the Bible tells us. That's what we meditate upon. We meditate upon what God desires for us. and Your conversation needs to be more than just one way. It's time where God speaks to your heart. You say, I've never heard God speak to me. That's why you... It's because you've never allowed God to speak. You've never been quiet long enough for God to speak to your heart. Now, never allow God to touch your life. That's how we live a new life. That's how we live. Take off this old nasty coat of the old self and put on the new. Let's pray. Dear gracious Father, Lord, we pray that You'd help us in our daily life to live according to Your desire. Lord, to stay away from the filth of this world turn away from the the vile uh, things of this world that would put us so far away from you. Lord, help us to draw close to you. Live and walk in your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.